It's Victory Monday here on the Lachlan Giants podcast. David Turner joins me next to talk about the New York Giants 13 to 7 victory over the Philadelphia Eagles on Michael Strahan Day. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Chana here with you, and happy Victory Monday, everybody. We have a victory to talk about here on the Locked On Giants podcast. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day. New York Giants top the Philadelphia Eagles 13-7 to at MetLife Stadium on Michael Strahan Day. Big day for the Giants. Uh, wasn't a pretty win, but it was an effective win. It was a start. And here, as always, to help me break things down is David Turner, president of Maverick Sports Consulting, former NFL scout. And David, we got a win to talk about, and we've got a lot to talk about with this win. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about the win and the week and everything leading up to it. So where would you like to start? I think we've got to start with the offense. I mean, the big story coming in was was uh, the dismissal of Jason Garrett, which um, a lot of us in the media, we kind of expected after the Monday night fiasco last week, Jason was relieved of his duties. And then Joe went through the entire week playing this game. Um, I'm not going to tell you who my play play caller is, even though everybody knew it was going to be Freddie Kitchens. Everybody knew that, you know, that was going to be the only major change as far as how they went about putting together the game plan. Freddie Kitchens was indeed the guy, but, with the, the change in play caller, there wasn't a whole lot of difference because, you know, you're not going to throw out the entire roster. You're not going to re overhaul the, um, the playbook, not, certainly not on a short work week and with a holiday on top of it. But let's talk about what we did see as far as changes with Freddie Kitchens calling the plays. Sure. <laughs> Again, as if you watch or you listen to Patricia's show when I'm on, you know, I'm not a Freddie fan. So, you know, and I think the the offense was very lackluster. There wasn't much uh, creativity in my mind when I watched it. A lot of the route trees and route combinations were basic. Um, it didn't build on top of each other. There weren't plays in the first quarter to see what a defense was going to do. So in the third and fourth quarter, they can run something off that. Um, they didn't build and to me, it didn't look like a built game plan. And, you know, if you're a Freddie, I think you should have been a guy that had more creativity. I mean, we still saw Daniel Jones run nine times. He threw the ball 30 times. Um, you know, Barkley, I think had four targets in the past game, if I'm right. And then he only touched the ball 13 times running it. I mean, it's not hard to run the dang football, you know, and, pound these eagles you know into submission but they chose not to so you know all in all it was just a ho-hum game daniel jones got 202 yards it was this was a this was a game won by the defense and you know when we get there we we'll talk more about that but on the offense it was just more of the same lack of creativity lack of play calling again um you know ingram was targeted six times he caught three balls Slayton was 
targeted four times, caught, you know, three balls. But again, you, you know, the longest one, I think, went to Ingram for 20. Galladay caught three out of three balls out of seven uh, targets, and his longest was 18. So we saw them push the ball a little bit further downfield. John Ross had a 19 yard catch, which that was the one aspect I did like that they did try to push the ball downfield a little bit more. Let me give that to Freddie. But again, I still am not like, like I would have thought there would have been some more vertical stretch offense into this much. Like we saw, I, I believe it was the new Orleans game where, you know, Tony and Ross really blew up and had a great games. So you know, that's me. Well, I saw a few tweaks, and for what it's worth, I mean, I saw different offensive line blocking, um, less duo combination blocks, more uh, trapping, I thought. The routes that, you know, the route concepts, I think we saw fewer of those stops and hooks and curls and more, you know, of a challenge to Daniel Jones to hit these guys while moving which, you know, I I did a statistical, you know, I checked next-gen stats and they were actually separating more than they've they've been. And I I can't tell you how much. So that was a tiny little tweak as well. Um, The running aspect of it, the one thing I didn't like is they kept sending the runs in between the tackles. And we all know, you know, at at least the the, the scouting reports show that the the Eagles are tough to run against the tackles. (laughs) So I'm not going to say that the game plan was perfect because it certainly wasn't in the production. You know, you were kind of expecting a little bit more and certainly more than 13 points. I mean, we'll take a a win however we can get it. But I did see enough, you know, tweaks. And I'm I'm wondering what more tweaks can they make? Again, knowing that you're not going to scrap the entire system and, um, you know, start from scratch. Well, again, you know, when you get in the red zone, that's the key, right? And they were one for three in the red zone yesterday. They they weren't pounding the ball. And again, I know that statistics say that the, it's hard to run between the tackles, right, on, on the Eagles. But you got to do what you got to do to win ball games. And moving people off their spot is part of playing offensive line. And for these guys, we got some big hog miles, as you know, Dave would say up front. So to let them just go move people and and run behind them. I mean, if you're committed to it, you can wear them down. You can wear them out. You can really lean on people. I don't think a lot of people just run at the Eagles. Like if you look, well, that's not true. Dallas did a few games ago and they really kind of controlled that game. I think it was almost six weeks ago. Now that I shouldn't say a few weeks, it was like six weeks ago, but they really ran. And again, like to your point, they were running a little off tackle, you know, some stretch from uh, outside zones, but they were getting a lot of movement, you know, and they were able to hit the whole hard. And that would be right into Shaq's um, Barkley's uh, play playbook. Like he would do that really well. So would Booker. So you have two backs that you could have really pounded at them and gone at them and controlled the game, keeping their offense off the field. And, um, you know, I, I, again, I'm more of a physical guy. I'm more of a let's run the football first and then give Daniel Jones that play action pass. Cause yesterday, I mean, we, we had some injuries at the receivers again, you know, Tony didn't play. Um, Shepard wasn't playing. I mean, we had Galladay and Slayton out there and Ross, but some of the, you know, main players that he, you know, that Daniel's looking for were on the sidelines. Again, they were hurt. They weren't on the field. 
So that limited the play calling a little bit too, I'm sure, for Freddie. Um, and not having Rudolph there limited the play calling for Freddie as well. So, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not a Freddie fan, but I'm also not trying to kill the guy. I mean, he had some limitations, like you said, short week. Um, you know, but for me, I just thought Freddie would just take the opportunity to bring a little bit more creativity when given the reins, you know, especially he's been sitting there waiting, 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 waiting for the ring, you know, the reins. And then all of a sudden you get them in here. I was like, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, it's a start, you know, when is a win, obviously um, the one thing, you know, you mentioned the running game and pounding it. Saquon, look, I love Saquon. I think he's a good player, but it absolutely drives me crazy with the stutter stepping and the fact that he very seldom lowers the shoulder and just pushes the pile. It's always like, you know, he runs into the pile and he's looking for that escape hatch. Okay. Where am I going to cut back? And by the time he decides a lot of those runs, just the, the holes that are there close up. And with him, it's kind of a feast or famine type of deal, which drives me crazy. And I'm just going to quick look up his stat here because I think he finished with, um, what did Saquon finish with? 3.1 average, but he had a long run of 32 yards. So you take 32 yards away from the 40 yards he ran for. So he ran for 12, he ran 12 times for eight yards. Not all of that was on the, the offensive line. There were there were a couple of times I know during the game when I said to um, you know, my colleague sitting next to me, I said, why doesn't he just lower his shoulder and just push the pile? And I guess that's just not the type of runner he is. I, I mean, what else can it be? Well, I don't see him as that type of runner. Uh, I mean, even in college, he didn't have it. He bounced outside too often in college. Like, and we see still here. Um, but if you look at Booker, you know, his counterpart, three attempts for 10 yards. So, again, the line wasn't moving people. And it wasn't like they were giving them these giant holes to run through and people were missing it. Um, but yeah, I don't think either of those backs, the way they built the system are move the pile backs. You know, I think they have other strengths with our, which a zone read power concepts are there and people go, well, you saw a power back. No, but I'm saying like, like you saw yesterday, some traps, some inside powers um, that hopefully give a quick little crease that a guy like Booker or Barkley could fit through and then explode out of the pile. That's that's the kind of thing that I'm saying. I'm not saying they're going to lower their shoulder and gain that one tough yard. I'm just saying the power, the way the power blocking inside works, I think works for both these backs. Right. But I'm talking about, you know, if you're going to soften up that defense, then you've got to throw a little power at it. I mean, which I'm kind of surprised. I don't think did Eli Penny have a have a carry. I don't think he did. No, Penny did not have Penny a did not. Yeah. It was it was Booker Cooper. Slayton had a, had an end around for minus 13. Cooper, one for three. Daniel Jones ran nine for 30 times. I mean, I'm just surprised they didn't give Penny a couple of carries, but I guess there's only so many carries to go along. So, but again, that's also what we're talking about, though. It's like if you're, if I'm, if I'm a man who, like right now, as we talk about, if Dave were to tap me in and I'd go into the building, right? I have ideas. I know what I would do right away with these guys. I know how I would go after it and take care of it. Freddie's been in the building. We've talked about it. It's like he's been waiting for his chance, waiting for his chance, waiting for his chance. And then you get the reins and the play calling that we did get to me was just kind of like ho-hum. Now, like you said, there was a holiday in the middle. I don't know what the practice schedule was. But if you're using the same playbook, you got to be able to be like, hey, 
I'm going to pull this one out. Jason never called it. I'm going to pull that one out. Jason never called. It. I'm going to pull this one and this one, and this one, because I think they'd be great plays. You know, if you're ready for the opportunity, preparation, you know, what they always say, right? When preparation meets opportunity, the success is bloomed from there, right? If the defense didn't have four, four or five turnovers yesterday, what would this game look like? It's not mm-hmm. like this offense blew them out of the water. Again, they still only scored one touchdown yesterday. So I, you know, I, 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 jury's still out on Freddie. I'm not a fan, but jury's still out. We'll see what they do over the next few weeks. Like you said, it's a win's a win, but I think the credit for this win definitely goes more to the defensive side of the ball than it does to the offensive side of the ball. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's show. But first, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings you your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part is there's no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Let's talk about the defense. I mean, because you're absolutely right. They they played pretty much lights out. Now, before we get into the defense, I do want to talk about the Eagles strategy on offense, because I sat there and I was like, what is Nick Sarani doing? This is an Eagles team that came in having run the ball really well between Jalen Hurts and their other running backs. But yet in the first half, I think they threw the ball more than they ran it. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, why aren't they running it? I mean, look, I'm glad they didn't, but they almost, it was almost like they were going, trying to go after the Giants secondary, which, you know, they lost guys, you know, Adoree Jackson had a lead with a quad and, and uh, Darnay Holmes, I think had a chest injury. So it was almost like, ah, you know, we've got a wounded animal back there and then Giants secondary, let's go after it. I mean, did you find the Eagles offensive strategy to be a head scratcher? Yes and no, because of exactly what you just said. I think when they saw DBs going down, they're like, ooh, let's go for it. Let's let our, you know, young quarterback with a good arm, let him throw, let him, let him get, get it loose. Um, and then when it didn't work in the second half, uh, you know, I think they ran the ball 33 times or 34 times, something like that for over 200 yards. So, I mean, they got the running game going and, you know, it was a Bart Scott or whatever. He's, he's, Austin. uh, huh? Boston Scott, Boston giant Scott. killer. That's it. Yeah. 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 Boston Scott. I mean, he's, he's just. Six he's out little... of 10 touchdowns against the giants. That's yeah. Just he, wild. He's just, he loves when he sees the big blue, he just oh. licks his chops. He goes to mm. town, um, you know, but I, again, all year, <coughs> excuse me, all year. I haven't understood what the Eagles are doing on offense. I'll be honest with you. I watched a lot of their games because they wind up falling in my time zone and on my TV and against opponents, you know, that I like to watch. And uh, I don't understand their offense. Some weeks they're, they're ginning and hitting all their passes and everything looks good with their RPO game. And then there's weeks that are like, what are you doing? Like that coach. I, I mean, again, not trying, but that coach, like I'm just always look. I'm looking at his offense going, I scratch my head. I don't know. With a guy like Jalen Hurst, again, you want to run him a little bit, totally get it. But he's got a pretty good arm on him and he's got some good accuracy when he gets his feet set. I think that's a kid that if you could give him a little bit more of protection, 
it could get it could get really fun to watch them. And they don't use their backs well at all. Sanders and Gainwell, like Gainwell is a underutilized individual there. The way he can run the ball, but the way he pass catches out of the backfield, and you know, you could send him on some seams, he would be a difference maker. And Sanders is a really good re- pass receiver, too. So you know, for me, when I watch them, they don't use their offensive weapons right at all. So you asked me about their offenses, you know, it's not surprising they screwed it up at all. But I think it was really, you know, when the Giants were already thin at DB and then people started dropping. And it was like kind of like what we talked about. Jason didn't do on the Monday night game, you know, with Tampa Bay when they were on their sixth and seventh corners and stuff. And Jason wasn't throwing and stretching them out. You know, we totally criticized Jason on I think they tried it and then they got they got going a little bit more in the second half. And, you know, let's be honest, Patricia, if that guy doesn't drop the ball in the last play at the goal line, I mean, he, his heels came down basically on the goal line. All he had to do was turn and get a touchdown. Game's tied. They kicked the field goal or the extra point. I'm sorry. And boom, they win the game at the end of it. So they were put themselves in position to win that game right up to the last throw, even though Hurts threw three interceptions. I mean, they were in position to win that game. If that one catch happened at the end of the game, boom, they, they, they're coming out of there with the victory over the giants by one yeah. point. Yeah. And I, I was actually, I actually tweeted, I, I guess out of force of habit, some might say out of lack of faith, but I said, why do I have a feeling the giants are going to mess this up? And everybody's like, because they've done it before. So I, I just, I felt bad and I was glad I was wrong, but um, you know, I want to talk about, you know, the three interceptions by Hertz because We've been talking about the Giants' quote-unquote lack of a pass rush. And I think a lot of people, when they say that, they look at sacks. But the pass rush is so much more. It's also moving quarterbacks off their spots and forcing, you know, errant throws that can turn into opportunistic plays, you know, like interceptions and stuff. I thought the Giants' pass rush, even though, you know, and I'll just check the numbers. I know the numbers um, on in the game book were not that great. Let me see. The Giants had um, one sack, which was split by Julian Love and Austin Johnson, and they had three quarterback hits. But there were also a lot of pressures where they got to Jalen Hurts to the point where I think on some of the passing plays, Hurts was hearing footsteps that maybe weren't there, and he was rushing throws. I mean, two of his interceptions were just awful decisions. Oh, yeah. I mean – hundred percent, hundred percent. He threw a couple of those balls when they left their, when they left their hand, I was like, where's that going? Like what's going on there. But what I liked about the giants, not just the pass rush, making a move off their spot, but did you notice where the corners were more yesterday? Up close. They walked them up. Like we've been saying, and that mm-hmm. we like, we've been talking about, they walked them up and they said, okay, we're not going to give you a simple five yard out. That's done. We're not doing it. You're going to have to earn it, okay? And by doing that, by rolling those coverages up, again, I think it gave the the pass rush time to get to the quarterback and move them off the spot because now the receivers weren't getting clean releases off the line, and therefore that was messing the timing up a little bit, which is perfect to help the boys up front get there. And again, we weren't blitzing enough in my mind. Again, I still say that, but we were more aggressive. So I'm happy with Pat today. (laughs) Mr. Graham, good job. You know, keep it up, but maybe send a few more guys, you know, Um, let's get a second, some second down blitz packages in there and uh, really, you know, fly up field and go get them. 
But, um, you know, for me, again, I, I like the defense much more yesterday, much more aggressive. Guys were jumping routes. I thought they kind of took the, the leashes off them and let them go hunting yesterday and in the secondary and up front. So I was happy with the defense yesterday, obviously. I thought they played really well. Uh, I thought that first half shutting them out. I mean, no points given up right in the first half was great. I mean, they, they got pushed a little bit. You know, they, you know, but they didn't break. So, uh, you know, for me, I, I really like that part of yesterday's game for 100 percent. Now, the part of the defense that I wasn't totally thrilled with was the run defense. I mean, the, R, the zone reads and the RPOs, they were just absolutely gouging them there. And I'm just wondering, what did you see? What was giving them so much trouble when, when the Eagles ran those plays? You know, I still think the edges are soft and we talked about it since training camp the the run fits for the safeties aren't coming up on the edges the the edge players aren't setting strong edges to force people back into the you know per, into their help and getting tackles um down upfield but you know i don't see at this point it's not going to change those edges are just going to be those edges and that's going to be something they're going to have to address with coaching in the offseason strength training or you know dave and the boys are going to have to just go get other players to set the edges um but i think it, again like we talked about i think the scheme is spill outside and linebackers and safeties will make tackles which i just don't i don't agree with you know i like to see the outside rushers get up field turning the running backs inside back to help and giving the linebackers easier angles to make tackles because they don't have to run as far to make the tackle you know a, lot, a couple of the scott runs last yesterday totally outside totally you know over past tackles and uh, i was just like ooh, and then here they go ripping off big chunks so you know there's a couple holding calls that got called back on some of uh there's one long run that got a holding call which again, it was a hold, not defending it. But if that one were to stand, that that might have changed the game because I think he rattled off a, a forty-yard run or thirty-yard run or something. At one point, they got called back for a hold, and it was like down to the five or something where they would have been in the red zone and back to business. And the Giants' defense wound up getting a, a turnover on that series because they pushed him back. But that was on in and helped, assisted by the hold call, right? So again, uh, I'm I. I would like to see stronger upfield presence by those ends. You know, I really would love to see almost like a five-man front or even go to a six-man front, old school, you know, 46 defense style on first down for the Giants right now because everybody's just chunk, chunking off yards on first down for, against them. So, you know, they're getting into the thirds and threes and thirds and fours and third and twos way too easily. Yeah, and on that one Eagles scoring drive, I think they ran, I want to say, 10 plays. Nine of them were running plays, and all nine of those running plays for, I think they totaled something like 66 yards on that drive. And I was like, wow, you cannot have that. You just can't have that. And, you know, the Giants, you know, that that was really, I think, the one drive that where we were saying, wow, what's going on with the run defense? But, you know, for the most part, like you said, solid defensive effort. And, and I'll tell you what was even more impressive for me is the fact that, you know, like I said before, Jackson went out, Holmes went out. They were playing Stephen Parker. You know, Aaron Robinson, the rookie, had a hell of a game. James Bradbury had a solid game. 
And, you know, they had no Logan Ryan, Logan Ryan's still on the COVID-19 list and they still were able to kind of clamp down and, and, you know, not get beat, not get burnt and, and just, uh, you know, play aggressively by coming up. Right. Again, I, I'm all about it. Been preaching it, been begging for it for weeks, right? Begging them to roll the coverage up and let's go. Uh, you know, the one aspect now I want them to add to it is blitzing. Like bring that, bring that, bring that fifth guy, you know, bring, bring, bring somebody else to help those big boys up front, get a single block and, and defeat it and push them into the lap. And like you saw yesterday, they had him off his spot. You, you brought it up. Perfect point. Wasn't, it's not always about the sack. It's about moving the quarterback's feet and get them off their spot. And they did that well yesterday. I just think if they add a little blitz, a more blitz aspect to them, this defense would really gin because it's it's built with athletes. I mean, there are athletes, and the best way to help an athlete out is blitz and press coverage. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's show. But first, today, of course, is Cyber Monday, and Bill Barr is going all out to make this year's Cyber Monday the tastiest and most delicious ever. They have limited time flavors, as well as their nine regular flavors available, a nut and nut-free variety, and just a winter wonderland of a deal. Featuring new flavors such as Built Cray Bars, Puffs in Ruby Chocolate, and Lemon Dip che- uh, Cheesecake, these and other flavors are available right now for a limited time, 20% off just for Cyber Monday. So when you use our promo code LOCK20, you can save 20% off across the board at BuiltBar.com. No matter what you're craving, no matter what flavor you like, they're all good. Try them out. BuiltBar.com. And our promo code is LOCK20 for 20% off only on Cyber Monday. So take advantage of that offer right now. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's show. But right now, hey, we are in the holiday season, and it is the most wonderful time of the year, especially for the sports fan, as college football gears up for its playoffs. The NFL playoff race starts to take shape. The NBA and NHL continue to heat up in their respective seasons. So much is going on. And no matter what sport you like, Bet Online has you covered all holiday season with more props, odds, lines than ever before. Head on over to their new updated or mobile website at betonline.ag to sign up today for an account and receive a 50% welcome bonus with the promo code locked on. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers that they have available on their site. Visit Bet Online today and get your 50% welcome bonus with the code locked on. All right, let's uh, talk. Finish up the show with some some miscellaneous stuff, and um, I kind of have to go here. I know. I know you get, do. Yeah, I'm sorry. There was a report yesterday by the NFL Network that the Giants and Dave Gettleman are going to part ways at the end of the season, um, which is something I've long suspected that maybe Dave might go off into retirement, or you know, or you know, whatever the case might be. First, your thoughts on it. I mean, you know, Dave has tried. Let's let's put it out there. Dave has tried to, to do right by this team, but some some fundamental, I think, roster building mistakes have hurt them, namely not having a strong offensive line in place for the young quarterback. You know, um, I think Dave sometimes is guilty of over evaluating 
what he has on the roster, treating these guys like the future Hall of Famers, especially when trade opportunities come up. And, you know, he's got this outrageous price. At least that's, that's what's being reported. I mean, what are your thoughts about this whole thing? Well, you're talking about the man who taught me 90% of what I know, right? Yeah. Um, and things that we we believe from history is you don't trade offensive linemen. Like, you don't. <laughs> if you have right. good ones, they're too hard to find. Mm-hmm. They're too hard to get. They're too hard to train and coach up. So you just don't do that. And with other people on with other, you know, people on the roster, you got to make a judgment call if it's going to hurt the team or help the team. You know, if it's going to hurt the team, you can't do it, even if the price tag is really good. You know, look what he got for that pick this year from the Bears. He held strong and he got a King's ransom from the Bears, right, to get a, a quarterback that's kind of, you know, going to cost that coach his job up there too. So, you know, for me, I think Dave's evaluations might be a little high. I'm not going to sit here and say they're not, but at the same time, why not ask for the moon? You know, I mean, you might get it and, and you don't give up players. There's just not enough. Everybody goes, well, what about this? Or what about that? I mean, trust me, there's an O and nine or O and 10 team in Detroit that's begging for more players, right? There's Houston Texans that need more players. There's there's a lot of 32 teams with 53-man rosters and the extended practice squads. There's not a lot of NFL players sitting on the street. You know, there's just not. It's not like you can go out and find a gold mine and hit one coming off the street. So all these people that think, like, you can go shopping at, you know, Walmart and find the next golden ticket, you know, to Willy Wonka's uh, chocolate factory is just not there you don't understand roster building so protecting your roster is something i'm i'm a big fan of obviously i'm talking about it you know like he probably would but i'm all about it and you, you know i don't think as we talked about the one aspect going into the season that we we questioned and i questioned hard is the offensive line i didn't think he did enough in the draft and in the off season to do it but we're seeing the left tackle play very well when he's healthy okay Billy Price, since he's come over and now he's playing well at the center, not great. Will Hernandez is Will Hernandez. You know, I don't think that was a great, you know, hit. But again, he's he's not a, a horrible miss, but he's not a great hit. Coming out of college, he was a big power run type guy. I thought he fit the system that they were looking to run and and do. Um, I don't like Parrot, as we know. I call him the cream puff, right? Um, and soldiers, you know, he's a serviceable, you know, backup, but he's not a guy that you want to hang your hat on and roll. And he thought they were going to have what Lemieux playing left tack or left guard and Lemieux hasn't. So, you know, there's injuries that everybody has to occur. And I don't think that, I do think that's a miss by Dave, a miscalculation by Dave. He liked his young guys. And I think he put a little too much faith there, but the rest of the roster is pretty sound. Again, we talked about it. It's not like they don't have, they've got plenty to cook with in this kitchen. You know, there's plenty to cook with in this kitchen. So especially at skill positions on offense, um, I think the receivers are pretty deep. And the tight ends, while there's only two, really, they're both pretty good. Um, And then D-line is strong. I mean, addition of Danny Shelton this year. I mean, Danny's played when he's got opportunities. He's played really well. So, you know, I think it's it's a roster that has 
the the kicking game is solid. You know, both the punter, the kicker, and long snapper are good. I mean, Graham Gano accounts for what one third of the total scored points this year, even though he missed one yesterday. I mean, he's had a, a really good year. Now you talked to me about Dave and the Giants parting ways. I mean, I haven't heard. I, he has not talked to me about that at all or brought it up. So I don't know if that's a truth statement or not. I think, you know, it might be a situation where maybe he's just uh, ready to to hang it up and move on. He's gone through a lot of, you know, health issues, a lot of things going on and personally, and it weighs on you and it hurts to um, be going to work when you're in those situations, you know? So maybe that's one of the things I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. He's healthy. He says his health is fine. Everything's good. He seemed in good spirits. So, you know, for me, I would hate to see him do it. I hated when Ernie left, like the, when Ernie left, it, it hurt me. Cause I was like, <clears throat> you, you prime this team ready for a run and now you're walking away. And when, when he left it, I was like, wow, that I didn't understand it. Ernie sat with me a, a, at the next combine and him and I talked about it and he taught me why and understood why. And, you know, this might just be Dave's why and when this time, um, but it would, it, if, if this league doesn't have Dave Gettleman in it, it's, it's not as good. And there people can fight me all they want, but that's a hill I'll stand on and be on every day. Cause that's a man who's given me my career. So, um, you know, I, I think one more draft, one more off season, especially with where he has his team lined up, with the draft picks and the cap room, I think next year is going to be tight, but with the draft picks, he might be able to get this team in position to go and, and who would take over for him? Like it's going to be uh it's going to be, a, I think there'll be a long list of people who want the job. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people want to talk about Daniel Jones, not being the quarterback of the future and this and that, but he's a lot better than a lot of quarterbacks that are in this league. And you got, you got some, you got a defense that's, that's young and, you know, it could be an opportunity here. So plus it's the New York giants, the history of, of everything is there. I mean, the traditions, the history, the pride, the big blue fans, everybody's in place. So, I I mean, that's always a plum job for me. Well, I mean, I think if Dave does call it, you know, a day, I would not be stunned if the Giants bring in somebody who has a connection to Joe Judge, because if you notice, Joe's brought in a lot of people who had with whom he's had prior connections. That's not giant MO, though. No, but you know what? If they're going to make a change, you know, whether it be Dave is walking away on his own accord or he's being urged to walk away, if you appoint somebody who's already there. You might as well just keep Dave because they've all like like yourself. They've all come up through the same system, being taught the same way. Um, well, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes Coughlin it doesn't hurt to bring somebody. New. Coughlin was whining and complaining his first few years about wanting his guys there, and that he needed his own GM and this and that. And the marriage didn't do it. They were like, "No, not happening." You know, we're going with they. They have a, a, a fundamental belief that the GM is the GM and the coach is the coach and they have to find as men, they have to find a way to work together, you know, and that's that honestly to me is the key here. Cause when you're a general manager, you're managing your job is to manage the people 
egos and everything, the situations and scenarios that come up. When you're a coach, you coach the football team. Too many coaches want say in personnel. And it's like, no, learn to work with the personnel department. And the personnel department needs to learn to work with the coaches. But when you're having a coach with autonomy, we're not seeing a huge bunch of success with this people go through all the rosters you're not seeing a ton of success with this method okay it's just too much work for one man to really coordinate and do you know even if you're going to point to new england with all the championships and everything they don't draft well historically they do fit and find key free agents that come in there and make it work but they're not incredible drafters so Understand the system when it runs and works well is when you have two heads of two different departments running their departments well and working well together. When there's a connection and a camaraderie and there's no finger pointing and it's two people working well together. Because here's why I don't like it is if you bring in a coach's GM and then you want to fire the coach, the GM's often protecting the coach because that's who got him there. Right. You need an independent evaluational source for the ownership to be able to go to the general manager. Is it coaching? Is it personnel? What is it? And his job should be to evaluate the people on both departments, honestly and effectively for the ownership, because that's what he's there to do. He's a general manager. He's managing the team on and off the field with the coaches and the staffs to make sure they win every week. When you take the legs of the general manager and just turn him into a personnel guy, that's just weakening the whole organization. That's what, I, and again, I came up under Ernie. I, I came up under a strong general manager. I went to Oakland, worked for Mr. Davis, who was a strong owner, strong general manager. He believed in the separation of the personnel and coaches. He didn't want them talking. He didn't want them canoodling and, and ganging up on him. He wanted the coaches to have their own opinion and the personnel to have their own opinion. So ultimately both were fighting with conviction in their voice for their player. And at the end of that conversation, he really believed the Oakland Raiders would, you know, be able to get the right player. Didn't always happen, but I understand the system that he wanted to, to convey and put together, I should say. Um, And it's similar to what, you know, Mr. Corsi wanted when we were in, you know, and what Mr. Mara, Wellington wanted too. I mean, they wanted personnel to be running independent of coaches, but working together. And that's, that's a key part of team making, right? Working together. Yes. But David, Mr. Mara is no longer with us. Unfortunately, you know, John Mara is in charge. Uh, actually, I should say, let me correct that myself there. John Mara has 50% say in that team. And Steve Tish has 50% say in that team. So times have changed since, you know, when Tom Coughlin first walked in the door, since when Bill Parcells first walked in the door, um, the Tishes do have a say in how that team, you know, the direction of that team, who is running that team. You've got to take that into consideration. And I think, you know, I, I know you, you were there in the beginning part when the Tishes were there. And I think uh, Bob Tish, you know, the father was, was alive at the time as was Wellington Mayor, but you know, this is a new generation, if you will, running the team. And, you know, can we honestly say that they feel the same way? I mean, look at what happened with Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin, basically, you know, a decision was made that, you know, it was either him or Jerry. 
at least this is how I interpret it. I don't know if this is how it went down, but it came down to one or the other. And I would not be surprised, you know, just, just based on how that press conference went, it was one of the, the most unusual press conferences. You can hear John Mara saying, well, we really don't want to let him go. So that to me told me that Coughlin walked away perhaps because he was frustrated with how the team was going. So that's what I'm just kind of getting at with that dynamic there and also the Tish factor, because they're obviously, you know, they want to see that team win, as does John Mara. Don't get me wrong, but how much of that's going to factor into what they end up doing? No, I, the Coughlin thing, I don't think it was a Jerry or Coughlin. I think it was that Coughlin wasn't get, feeling his voice was being heard loud enough, which is, again, a gripe a lot of coaches have. And that's the part where you have to work with each other to figure it out. You know, you have to get into a room. If you have to yell and scream at each other and get it out, get it out. But stay in that room until you figure it out. Be adults. Be adults. You know, this isn't like I'm going to throw my tantrum and then then you're out. Like other coaches that will not be named that are in Washington did to certain individuals that are near and dear to my heart. Um, but, you know, it's about being an adult. And, you know, sometimes, coach, guess what? You're going to be told stuff you don't like. And I'm strong enough to tell you the things you don't want to hear. Just like when I sit in this mic and I talk to you, I tell, I say things against friends of mine, Jason Garrett, that I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. If I was in the room, same things would be coming out of my mouth. But don't try to get me fired because you don't like what I'm saying or you don't agree with what I'm saying. You know, listen to what I'm saying, because I'm giving you an honest evaluation of your skills and ability to perform your job and your duties. Um, I really think a lot of coaches don't want to have those arguments and they want to be a Nick Saban. They want to be a, a, you know, Bilicek. They want to be able to walk in, bark, say what they want and want all the, the rest of the kennel to fall in line and do what they want. But at the end of the day, you can't pay them all and you can't have all a, a, a roster full of veterans it's just not going to fit under the salary cap. And, you know, for me, when I look at the standings in the AFC and the NFC, I see some strong general managers that, you know, have control of their teams um, sitting up at the top, you know, and, and I see some of these coach run teams more at the bottom, you know, and that's just maybe one of the listeners will say, David's crazy, but it's not because I know these people inside and out. So for me, I think if you have a strong general manager who is tied to the ownership and again, don't be, don't be sitting here. I think I'm protecting the scouts because sometimes they screw up too, you know? And I think under Jerry, there were some major screw ups, but were they Jerry or were they Mark Ross in the draft in the college department? Trust me. I know where I'm pointing that finger, but Jerry has to point the finger at himself because he allowed Mark in the building and Mark to do what he had to do. And those picks ultimately fall on Jerry's shoulders. Okay. Same with Dave. Dave will always take the blame. You know, if, if, if things don't go right, I get it. When there's winning, there's enough credit to go around, but when there's losing either the head coach, the general manager, or the quarterbacks taking the blame, that's it. There's three sets of shoulders there that are taking the blame. It's rare that the ownership takes the blame and it's rare. Anybody else takes the blame. It's those three. 
So you have to just stand up and take the blame when, you know, something, when there's a mistake made, you stand up and take it. That all being said, I don't, I don't think the new guns, if they really sit and think about what's good for the organization and John really reflects on his dad and how that organization was run and is supposed to be run, will hand the reins over to somebody tied to Joe. Joe might be in on the interview process to see how the, the person, whomever it is, and Joe get along. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's got to be somebody. If you're going to have a general manager, he needs to be tied to the ownership more so than the coach and anywhere else. An interesting perspective here. That's, that's why I come to you because, you know, me from the outside looking in, I know how I would do it, but you know, how I would do it and how somebody who has actually been in the business would do it. I mean, that's why we, we come to you and uh, lean on your, well, you run the risk. If you look at an economics department too, like if you do the bean counting part of it, say, say Joe gets one more year, but he brings in his own GM. Now next that GM is going to get a four or five year deal because he's not going to come from a team without, you know, security of a three, four or five year deal, more, most likely four or five year deal. You know, Nick Casario, I think, went to Houston and got a six-year deal, and he's the third highest-paid GM um, in the league, and the guy had done nothing but sit in New England for, you know, 10 years of behind Tom Brady and Belichick getting rings. Not to die. Nick's a good dude, but I'm just saying the resume was one spot, and there was a lot of point pieces there helping you win, not just you doing your thing, and you jump into being the third highest-paid GM in the league, okay? But if you if Joe gets one more year and then you bring in a GM with that kind of money and then they wind up making changes in the scouting staff and on that side of the building to fit what they want. Now, now next year, are you in a boat where Joe doesn't perform well? They don't draft good and you want to fire everybody. That's not the giant way. The giant way is a lot more stability than what we're even seeing now. I mean, th- was it a uh, Mr. Young was the GM? And then Ernie was a GM for a long time. Then Jerry was a GM for a long time. Now Dave's had a run of what, three, four years now? Four years. Yeah, four years. And again, they were hoping Dave would be there for five, six, you know, I think at least five or six, seven years into it. And if he does end up, again, this is all hypothetical. If he does part ways or they do part ways this this year, that's a short run for a Giants GM. So they're looking for stability. I don't care. I mean, I don't, anybody who runs a business, no stability brings profits, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. constant turnover and chaos doesn't give you consistent success. And so therefore they have to be looking at a situation where if they bring in somebody, it, it, it needs to survive past this coach. So if you bring somebody in just to appease this coach, you're going to wind up having a short-term GM if this coach doesn't pan out. So, and again, we're not seeing a lot this year that makes me comfortable thinking this is the coach that's going to pan out um, beyond even this year. I've said it even, you know, two weeks ago before the bye, I wasn't really excited about what Joe judge was doing. And, you know, I was, I was coming into the season, but I'm just not excited what I've seen so far during the season, this all being said, you figure the bears are going to have an opening. Um, you're going to have an opening. Um, 
in probably um, Vegas. You know, Mayock might not survive there with the whole Gruden stuff and everything going on there. I don't know what they're going to do in Washington, even though they'll probably give Ron another year there. Um, and then, you know, Jaguars, the rumor mills out that, um, you know, the coach might be leaving after this year. Who knows? The SC job just got taken by Lincoln Riley, and I think that's the one he wanted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe he will stay on now. Who knows? But that's, you know, that's a big old question mark out there. So there's a few jobs that could open up here at the back end. Um, and we'll see, you know, what, where it all where it falls out and how it all falls out. I mean, Seattle being three and seven doesn't look really good for Carol and Schneider because they haven't been able to get it done um, up there for a few years. Detroit, ago. they're struggling. Well, Detroit's struggling, but they just made the switch over last year. So I think they'll wind up keeping Brad and Campbell for another year. But man, that's going to be, I mean, if they don't turn it around this year, I mean, oh, 10 and one is that with 11 games. That's a, that's a struggle place right there. But a lot of the places here at the bottoms of the rosters of the win columns had switchovers fairly recently, like the Panthers at five and seven. They just switched over the GM and coach in the last couple of years. Um, you know, I we're talking about the Giants, Washington, the Raiders will switch. Broncos just switched GM last year. Chargers and Chiefs probably won't. Jaguars, again, switched GM and coach last year. Texans switched coach and GM last year. So, you know, I think a couple of these squads are going to get an extra year. Jets just switched over coach, right? Now, Dolphins might switch over. That could happen. You know, Greer and um, and Chris can be uh, out of there. So we'll see, you know. But when you're in this kind of situation, obviously these conversations come up. What should we do to get better in order to make sure the profits keep rolling in? Yep, a lot of uh, uncertainty. I mean, we got a few more weeks left, and uh, we'll see how it all plays out. David, as always, great stuff. Appreciate you coming on with me. Always fun to talk about a win. Hopefully we will have another win to talk about next week and the week after. Um, but we'll just play it one week at a time, see how it all comes together. And we'll especially see how, <clears throat> excuse me, Freddie Kitchens continues to evolve this offense as they look to maybe defi- re- redefine what they're doing with the personnel that they have. Hopefully they get some of these injured guys back in future games. So anyway, folks, that'll do it for us here on the Lachlan Giants podcast. As always, make sure you tune in every day. We appreciate you being making us your first listen or first read of the day. And uh, don't forget, we have Twitter Tuesday tomorrow. Wednesday, we will have a guest. That's the plan. Thursday's the crossover. Friday, we'll do a, um, we'll see what, what I come up with for Friday for show. But for shows all this week, hope you'll tune in. For David Turner, I am Patricia Chain. And thank you so much for tuning in to the Locked on Giants podcast.